John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. have accessed entry 836.MT0208, certificate number 32762, the next Dalai Lama. Of course, I accept it on behalf of the 6 million Tibetan people, my brave countrymen and women inside Tibet who have suffered and continue to suffer so much. I have a friend who's on the board of some local do-gooder nonprofits. I really thought you were going to say, I have a friend that's potentially the next Dalai Lama. I have a friend and that I goes to say, shows. Is it me? And when she gets home and she blows her nose. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, who do you think the next Dalai Lama is going to be? It's got to be a kid, right? It could be one. You don't think it's one of us? Personally, I feel like what, are you, what do you think your odds are? I think my odds are greater that I will be uh, tapped by the UFOs to speak on their behalf using, they will mentally telepathy their thoughts to me. And then I will sit behind a sort of a talk show host desk, uh, on, you know, international television. Do you believe that the Dalai Lama has a talk show up until this point in your life? Have you believed that? Does Do you think he's in the audience? Like a, like Phil Donahue? (laughs) Does the Dalai Lama, why doesn't the Dalai Lama have a talk show? Everybody else does. Uh, Well, that's the thing. All the Huxtable kids have had a talk show at one point. Right now, if you want the Dalai Lama's wisdom, you have to like follow him around or read his op-eds in the Washington Post. Pay $10,000 a plate for a fundraiser dinner. Yeah, but why wouldn't he just sit, sit in on a closed circuit TV and like. Why do we have so much of Seth Meyers' wisdom? Like just hours, the future's going to think Seth Meyers was our spiritual leader. And, and the Dalai Lama, we just, you occasionally get a quote. I feel like we've gotten to the bottom of this very fast. I don't know if this is where your show was headed, but why are our spiritual leaders not on nightly television talking to people? I guess they are, if you've ever gone by the weird satellite dish channels. Oh, yeah. You, you don't think those are our spiritual leaders? <laughs> Personally, I don't. Not, not to me either, but, but you know, by the numbers... They're, they're, those guys are probably doing as well as the Dalai Lama. There's one of those new rock and roll churches up here at the corner. Hell yeah. Uh, where the, the ministers all have tattoos and they say, you know, and, and Jesus is lit. Jesus is lit. And it ends up that they're the, that they're 10 times more misogynist than even <laughs> the worst, like the, the, just the ordinary. Yeah. And, uh, but they've started putting up like sandwich boards on the street corners in this neighborhood. Like, Hey, come to church, man. It's the coolest you're doing finger guns let the record finger, finger i'm guns. not sure how a sandwich board would do that <laughs> well it's just like 
Well, it, it, it's, you know, we believe in attraction rather than promotion. Uh, salvation, here. salvation, bang, bang. <laughs> uh, and so, but the church is right over here and I can kind of see, you know, I can see it from the balcony and I'm ex- kind of excited to see like how many hot rods pull up, like what kind of, what kind of groovy scene it is. And they definitely probably have a television station. Inter- you think? Internet, internet. You think television. every toxic masculine megachurch in your neighborhood has a... Do you, do you not has think? Has a TVS kind of superstation? There, there used to be a band in Seattle called Man Ray. Do you remember Man Ray? Oh, the, you were probably in... I don't, you actually. Were in, no, they were like a... They were sort of glam, loud glam. And the lead singer, very charismatic guy, beautiful guy. But it was one of those scenes where they were, they were like a hip band, no tattoos. They were coming from a different location culturally. And then one day they all showed up and had giant tattoos, sleeves, you know, which, which was weird. But then when the band broke up, I ran into the lead singer later and he, and he said, you know, I moved to Spokane and became a minister. And it was really like, you know, Mesa Boogie minister over in Spokane, running some mega church. And I realized, oh, it's the same gig. Like being the front person of a glam band or running a megachurch, same exact Well, then gig. I've got good news for you, my friend. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm working for the UFOs. I've, I really feel I'm holding out. You've already sold your soul to the UFOs. You will not take a higher offer from, um, from uh, evangelical Christianity. The thing is, it can't be my soul because for me to have global credibility speaking on behalf of the UFOs, they have to, they have to leave me to have my own integrity. At, at right? some point, there's going to be a battle between the Judeo-Christian God and the Interstellar Federation. Well, and but, it sounds like you are backing the, the grace. No, no, no. You I'm think just, they can win. I'm you think just, they can storm the gates of heaven. I feel like I'm a good interpreter, right? An interpreter of UFO cultural dynamics. But your talents would be wasted as a, a, a messiah. Yeah. No, I'm more of a mediator. Uh, so you are taking your name out of contention for the next Dalai Lama on this, uh, as of this moment? I feel like if you if you t- consulted the oracle, right? If you threw the uh, knuckle bones in a bag mm-hmm. and shook them up and threw them out on the tea, not how they do it, but we'll get to that. Uh, I would have already failed a I few see. of the requirements, and it's like predestination. I think it was when you learned to ski. The Dalai Lama can't ski. See, all the can the Dalai Lama not ski? I guess I don't want to limit my idea. Of, but, uh, of what uh, a bodhisattva can accomplish, but right, aren't there some aren't there some things where they they go and they look at the kid, and if the kid can, if the kid has uh, has uh, he's double jointed or whatever, they're like, aha, exactly right. Yeah. That's 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 what we're going to talk about. <laughs> okay, that pro- that's the process that was followed when the current Dalai Lama took office, but it may not be what happens when he passes. Oh, we're at a, we're at a rough time, and in, in, uh, it's a fraught moment for Turns Dalai Lama out. succession. I'm doing the turns out at the beginning now. Right. I'm, I've, I've never listened to a full, um, uh, Ira Glass show. Yeah. I've never listened to a full This American Life. Well, you just fast forward to the end? Yeah. Oh, oh. I'm like, to me, that show is called Turns Out. But is this one of those things where there are, where all the young people are leaving the state of Nebraska because they're all going to the bright lights of the big city and then nobody's farming the soybeans? And so they can't be the, so, Wait. Well, no, so they can't be Dalai Lama. I'm saying that the Dalai that the young Dalai Lamas are like, yeah, Dalai Lama or whatever. But I'm a pro skateboarder now. Yeah, they're they're all on their cell phones. Yeah, right. Uh, I'm sure. You know, all you need is one. Oh, so the demographic problem is easy to solve. But there are a lot of llama, right? Well, now let's get to the singular plural. Llama is also the plural, right? I don't think that's or is it llamas? True. I think they can be llamas. 
But there are multiple llamas. Merriam-Webster says the plural is, well, they don't say, so that means it's llamas. Yes. Plural the the 1L llama as, uh, what is that, Ogden Nash? Do you know the, do you know the poem? The, he, no, but I the like The 1L it. llama, he's a priest. The 2L llama, he's a beast. And I will bet a silk pajama there isn't any 3L llama. Hmm. In, uh, in, in Castilian, they would pronounce it llama. Yes, I don't know how you would pronounce the 3L one. It's, a, it's an interesting old, argument for the non-existence yama. of the... It's an interesting kind of th- theological argument for the non-existence of the 3L llama. What if the L was at the end? Llamal. <laughs> it would just be... Uh, I'm, I'm just going to play New York Times spelling view right now. You can get mammal. You can get mall. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, there's no betting line for the next Dalai Lama, which is odd. There's probably one for next Jeopardy host, but... but Almost certainly. I've got $600. Here's in. what's wrong with our society. And I know you went with Blossom, and that's okay. Uh, it's very unclear what's going to happen. But the story I was going to tell about my friend is because he's on the board of, of these international nonprofits, he's... Um, is he a hippie or a do-gooder? Is he a religious do-gooder or a hippie do-gooder? Uh, I would say religious. Uh, you know, and maybe maybe a religious now. But, you know, he's a guy with uh, family, money, and time to spare, so he's on Seattle boards. Oh, God, I wish that was me. And it seems like he maybe just wants the the flights to wherever they fly to. That's all I want. More than he cares about uh, measles or whatever. Put me in first class and send me to a board meeting. That's all I really want out of life. Send me to Davos. Uh, but as a result, you know, he's he's heard the Dalai Lama speak, you know, the last couple of times he was in town, whenever that was, he's heard the Dalai Lama speak a couple of times and maybe, and maybe met with, maybe chatted uh, with him after. Come on. And his, well, his take is that the Dalai Lama is quite dim. <gasps> that everyone just assumes, because he's a, Cherubic, yeah, old Tibetan man in an orange robe. That he's going to be, you know, full of not just a, a puckish personality, but also deep enlightenment and wisdom. And in fact, that it's just a, you know, hearing him, you get the sense that he's just a vapid. You know, he's just somebody who's been the Dalai Lama since he was two. Wow, you know that thing where you where you look at old pictures of Robin Williams and you're like, oh, he was catastrophically depressed for decades. And we never knew it because we thought, oh, Robin Williams, like, lol. He's having a good time up there. But if you look at pictures of him for 20 years, he has the face of some, he has the the, the shark eyes of someone who cannot, uh, who's looking into the abyss. When I think of the Dalai Lama's cherubic face, I always thought that it meant he was in contact with the bliss. But you're saying he's just... Potentially, he's just just dumb. <laughs> that, was, I mean, that was that was this guy's opinion, I, and I want to hasten to say that I don't necessarily share that. When he told me that, I was like, "Yeah, yeah, I guess I could see that." I mean, he won a Nobel Peace Prize, but it was it was 1989, and they just gave it to him for um for, for being persecuted for not being the Tiananmen Square massacre, basically. Like, let's give the Nobel Peace Prize to somebody anti Chinese Communist Party. I know that you are uh, well as a man of faith. Um, do you recognize that as someone gets closer and closer to God, they appear stupider and stupider? Is that like a thing? <laughs> uh, like, isn't wisdom that's in connected medieval to Christianity, suffer, suffer? right? Holy fools, yeah. and but he hasn't suffered. I mean, I mean, he did have to flee his homeland. He's had he had but a, a, a he had a rough guy. time in the fifties, but I'm, I assume it's been pretty great for him for sixty years or so. I had to flee my homeland, but it's only because the because the music of Alaska it's is all the parking tickets. 
Well, that. And, uh, and because, you know, music in Alaska is like, well, Soapy Smith went down to the mine and, you know, there's no like rock and roll. I'm sure they have bad metal bands. Oh, so many. Well, there's, could- there's one called, what was it? Like Three Fist Punch or something that became quite popular. Oh, really? Yeah. Big, big fisty punch or something. I think something. they should all have Alaskan themed names. Like all the, they should all be called Black Glacier or something. No? Black Glacier. <laughs> Let me write that my, down. My Atlanta, Alaska <laughs> metal band is Walrus with an umlaut over the... Walrus. You, I guess? <laughs> but I read, the, I read the Dalai Lama's Nobel Prize. I read His Holiness's Nobel Prize speech. and On, on your own? Or? Yeah, just yesterday. Just, oh, oh, I see. I was like, you know what? My buddy's always saying, eh, the Dalai Lama's probably a huge dummy. And I don't want to believe the worst about someone. So I've, you know, I, so I, I read some interviews I, and I've seen him on TV kind of just smiling and looking wise. And I'm like, that's what I would do if I didn't know what was going on. I would just kind of <laughs> smile and look wise. <laughs> this guy's got 50 years of practice. That would make a terrible podcast. But the, <laughs> smiling and looking wise with Ken and John, <laughs> but he does, uh, the, the, the Nobel prize speech is good. I mean, obviously that could be written, but yeah. you know, in interviews, he seems insightful, um, I don't buy it, actually. That I, he's that he's not smart. Yeah, I, I I feel like he's probably the best Dalai Lama of, in my lifetime. Yeah, right, right. He's easily top five. <laughs> top five Dalai Lama. He's been the Dalai Lama that- since 1935, of course. Um, how old was he when he became the Dalai Lama? Uh, I think he was two when he was. So you know, wow. he's talk about just having one employer your whole life. Why? Why do you think that this is uh, so fascinating to? Uh, uh, to the West and to Steven Seagal, like what is the Steven Seagal being separate from the West? He's your he's the your main idea of a Buddhist. They're they're yeah, all more right. or less like Steven Seagal. <laughs> they have dyed black hair and are are uh, dubious martial artists. But I mean, there are religious patriarchs around the world. Yeah, there, we don't care about the patriarch of Constantinople. No, there's there are probably seventy denominations that have more people than Tibetan Buddhism, more adherents than Tibetan Buddhism, but the Dalai Lama just resonates with us. I mean, let's be honest. A lot of it is, is politics. You know, he's been a political symbol since, uh, what, 1950, uh, whatever date, uh, 1959. When, when the Chinese when, invaded Tibet. Yeah, when Tibet got annexed. And, uh, and as a result, like a Hollywood cost celeb in your lifetime and mine, not just Steven Seagal, but Richard Gere and all the rest. Brad you know, Pitt, right? Deeply concerned Brad Pitt, yeah. And Scorsese, Scorsese made a, a a Dalai Lama biopic. After he got done making the last waltz, he went right over and. Uh, it's in his biopic canon with Jake LaMotta and uh, Howard Hughes, I guess. Huh. Um, so yeah, we're fascinated by him. And really, beyond the politics, I would say the secret sauce is the reincarnation. Oh, sure, sure, sure. He's right. the 14th Dalai Lama. So this says here that there are six and a half million Tibetans. And that appears to be global, which is roughly... I, most of them are probably in Tibet, just by the numbers. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, there are a bunch in China. And India. Oh, well, oh right, because it's all in China. Durr. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, there are well, 6.3 million of them in China. Hmm. I'm not going to take a position <laughs> on that. Uh, but that is the number of people in Israel, right? That's the same number of people in Israel as are in. Oh wait, no, not in not the people in Israel. I'm sorry, the Jews in Israel, right? There are nine nine million people in Israel, but six million of them are Jewish. 
And I don't know what borders we're using, and we're not going to talk about that either. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you're making that comparison to show... Uh, oh, just to show, well, I guess that this is, we are just as interested in Jewish, pol- or more interested in, in Israeli politics than we are in Tibetan and politics. And it's for a lot of the same reason. It's it's a flashpoint with um, right. not just ethnic, but religious, and in, in the case of China and Tibet, ideological. Well, so when are Mormons going to start some big fight in uh, in the mountain states and and direct more, you know, excited international attention. We, well, we, in this analogy, we would be annexed. Utah would be annexed by California or Colorado. Vail. Yeah, annexed by Vail. And we fought our, <laughs> and we fought our wars in the 19th century. So, oh, right, right, so right. We're good. We, we you, did get annexed. Yeah, and you were a flashpoint in we, the 19th we could, we could have been the free state of, I don't know why I'm saying we. I don't know I haven't why lived I'm U- saying I haven't we. lived in Utah for 15 years. <laughs> but it would have been the free and independent state of Des- Deseret, right. stretching all the way from... From Montana to Mexico. Right. Um, but nope, President uh, James K. Polk, let's say, or, yeah. or somebody else. I'm sure it was Polk. S- sent in the troops and, and, and put us down. And that's, and you know, there was no, the Dalai Lama in this case did not flee to, um, flee over the border to Reno. Flee down to Arizona City. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what would have happened. <laughs> or no, Colorado City. He would have flee down to Colorado <laughs> City in northern Arizona. Um no, they and they they the Mormons played nice. They were assimilationist. They decided we're gonna do your boring monogamous marriages if you twist our arm, President possibly Polk. And that's what they called him at the time. But, News traveled slow. That's right, President uh, Polk ish. But I think the I, I think you've really gotten to something. The reincarnation is the main thing. Um, around the year fourteen hundred, uh, a Columbus sailed the ocean blue? Even before that, oh. an influential Tibetan abbot founded a new school of Buddhism called Geluk, uh, which was kind of a, it was kind of a reform movement. It was like, Buddhism has lost its way. Um, things used to be pure. It used to be about the, it used to be about the enlightenment, man. Yeah. Um, so he's going to bring it back to his roots. And uh, he brings back yellow hats, which was kind of what the, what the monks wore in you know, the older, purer times that he's hearkening back to. Indian Buddhism, it's more traditional to wear red hats. So to this day, Gaelic Buddhism is... I mean, that's not the only... I don't want to say that's the theological difference. Yeah, I, I wish I could communicate the raised eyebrows that I'm... The Buddha is displeased when we wear red hats, John. Is this like in 1968 when people started wearing stripy suits and, and straw boaters? Like, we're bringing back the style of the 20s. I think it's more like Mel Gibson's dad trying to put the mass in Latin. Oh, got it. Um, but I'm not saying they're conservative like who cares about the politics of here's i'm here's what i'm gonna say who cares about the politics of of 14th century (laughs) tibet that's the position of this show wow wow i went there (laughs) like i don't really know which was the good or bad buddhism by by our modern social standards i'm not sure if this is a progressive viewpoint or if this is a uh i want to be on the right side of of gelug buddhism but all we have to know for this for our purposes is that they brought back yellow hats Okay. And as a result, to this day, Gaelic Buddhism is often called yellow hat Buddhism in various languages, including English, because that's that's how they stand out. I mean, you could do the same thing with other denominations, too. I mean, Mormons could just be short sleeve white shirt Christians. Or Let me ask you this, and if you, I don't know if you've put any thought into this, but hats seem to play an oversized role oversized in hats. religion. They well, and, and little tiny hats, too. Like well, everybody's the Pope's got, got a, both. The Pope's got his, his tall does. one, and then he's got the smallest hat you can imagine. So what's the deal? But, oh, but this is the thing. American evangelicalism ha- appears to be a hatless religion. 
all the other religions are all full of hats. I mean, maybe it's, it's funny when you get even more fundamentalist than them, when you see like, you know, people in the Costco coming straight from the fields, they, they're all covering their heads. Right. With camouflage, uh, mesh back baseball hats. <laughs> no, <laughs> they have, uh, they have simple, uh, Mennonite looking oh, hats. bonnets and the yeah. women wear bonnets and right. we're, we're back in Colorado city. Right. But, but then if you get a little more liberal than the evangelicals, they're not wearing hats either. There's like a there's like a divot except for Jewish men, right? But there's a there's a sort of religious divot where people stop wearing funny hats. But, but the people in charge always wear hats, except again for this broad swath of American conservative Christianity. Although the amount of hairspray in their hair might qualify uh, as a hat, it's true. That's why they're going for that hat like look you used to see on uh, Jimmy Swaggart. Yeah, right. The super pompadour that's just like shellac. He wishes he had a papal mitre or a <laughs> or a tall yellow monk's hat. Yeah, and he doesn't. Oh wait, so the monks in Tibet, the yellow hat is a tall hat, not a short hat. Yeah, it's it's like a it's kind of got the spi- spiky spirally top like you're a Dr. Seuss character. Yes. I just googled yellow hat and I got Curious George and then like yeah, pretty much just Curious George. The hat The woman in the yellow suit. <laughs> the hat is tall. Have you have you never seen the Dalai Lama? It's it's like kind of a shark's fin kind of a thing. Sometimes it's got like uh feathers or kind of a a ruff of of something feathery looking at the top like a like a faux hawk. Yeah, it's a uh, it's it's a cool hat. It's like a, it's like a banana. It's a banana hat. The small one it looks like a banana. Yeah, he's like a guy in a banana suit. <laughs> yeah, like a like a hook, like a forward hooking banana, like a, like a banana that's coming to get you. Uh, he looks a little bit like a candle from the side. Um, I hope that people. Uh, ho- your, your Tesla would probably think he's a traffic cone if they saw the Dalai Lama crossing a street. I, I I hope that the Beastie Boys don't think that we are mocking Tibetan Buddhism by by uh, describing the Dalai Lama's hat as a banana. We admire the hat. Yeah, no, it's a, it's wonderful and and uh, and God in the Bible. We don't care about 14th century Tibetan Buddhism except for the hats, which are good. Yeah. Uh, the founder of this new movement had a student, in some accounts his nephew, named Gendun Drupa. And uh, as the story goes, he was at a sacred lake in Tibet when the goddess... Uh, Paldan Lamo, Paldan Lamo, I'm sure I'm saying all these things exactly right. Paldan Lamo emerges from the lake kind of Arthurian style to proclaim that Gendendrupa, in a shocking twist, is uh, in an important reincarnation lineage. The the reincarnation aspect was not uh, part of Tibetan Buddhism until this point in time? Buddhists have always believed in reincarnation, but she is saying that he is specifically a reincarnation of, he's a manifestation of Avalokiteshvara, a bodhisattva of compassion. Oh. In Buddhism, bodhisattvas are great teachers who have uh, approached Buddhahood with their enlightenment. And, you know, their, their ideas were so pure, they were so close to the right Dharma, that they approach, are approaching enlightenment uh, in, in their, that life and in subsequent ones, and in some cases have already received, like, a promise that they will become a Buddha. So, and also, they will take you by the hand. What? No, nothing. That that was just for the olds. What the way? What song is that? <laughs> You're listening to Classic Rock 101.3. <laughs> Wait, what song is that? That's Steely Dan. Oh, Bodhisattva. Okay. Yeah. Bodhisattva, right. Um, 
And so that's kind of the beginning of the idea of a Dalai Lama. And this is all, this is all kind of established retroactively. Um, and by the way, in Tibet, they don't even call him the Dalai Lama. The, what? The, Tibetan, the Tibetans, Tibetans have various names for their spiritual leader. He's often called the wish-fulfilling gem. I'd rather be called... Dalai Lama's a Western name. Yeah, but what is wish-fulfilling gem in By Tibetan? Uh, in Tibetan, that would be Yeshin Norbu. Oh, Yeshin Norbu. Um, sounds like our, our crumb character. Yeshin Norbu. Uh, more commonly, uh, they just call him Kundun, meaning oh, Kundun. the presence. So that's where we get... That's the name of the Scorsese biopic. Right. Um, Dalai Lama comes to us from the Chinese for reasons that don't begin until the third uh, Dalai Lama. Uh, the Western Mongols at that time were ruled by a guy named Alton Khan. Not, not Killer the, name. Not the, guy who, um, not the guy who recorded Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. This is a different, a different guy. He has a, he has a cooking show. <laughs> I love Alton Khan. <laughs> He has like an evil cooking show. Yeah, he's surprisingly conservative. Where he's like, "How do you get the crust of the? How do you get the the crust of the chicken just right and crispy, just like the the skin of my enemies?" Uh, no, Alton Khan has a mean sounding name, and he was a descendant of Genghis and Kublai Khan, but he embraced Tibetan Buddhism. Oh, and uh, uh, Tibetan he's like Constantine. Exactly, he's the Constantine of the Western Mongols. That's what we always called him. And uh, a Tibetan monk named Sonam Gyatso visiting his realm. Uh, took advantage to proselyte, uh, to proselytize Tibetan Buddhism in the region. And Alton Khan gave him a title and the Chinese title he gave him was Dalai Lama. Huh. So, you, you know, you're, you're the high exalted, important Lama. And that retroactively creates this lineage. This is the third, what we would today would call the third. And that retroactively creates an idea that his two predecessors as uh, leaders of this school of, of Gelug Buddhism were also Dalai's Lama. Uh-huh. No, that's not right. Dalai Lamas. Dalai Lamas. And therefore, again, reincarnated manifestations of this very important Buddha to be, aspiring Buddha. But it's like the emperor of the Holy Roman Empire. It's a thing that got invented and then took on a religious No. Yes. W- yeah. But took on a, a retroactive um right, like seal leader of, of the lineage. people. Yeah, yeah, I see. And you know, the story we we have the story now about the lady in the lake, but you know, it's probably a, a, a later myth to kind of cement the founding of this line of bodhisattvas. I, I apologize to the futurelings that are <clears throat> animists or practicing some kind of worship of the sea god that I keep contextualizing it in medieval Christian contexts. But that's all I know. It's the only way I can see the world. That's your, your favorite religion. You're yes. like Spanish Inquisition. That's the good stuff uh, right in uh, there. The massacring Huguenots. Yeah. I love it all. Council of Trent. <laughs> Big Council of Trent guy right here. <laughs> and since that time, since uh, Alton Khan made Sonam Gyatso Dalai Lama, uh, every time uh, this a leader of the this school of Tibetan Buddhism dies, a new one has to be appointed through an interesting process. Uh, first of all, a regent is appointed upon the death of the Dalai Lama. One of his monastic disciples, one of his closest advisors, um, becomes, you know, assistant to the Dalai Lama, basically. Is it ever a situation where the assistant to the Dalai Lama, in the process of searching for the new Dalai Lama, discovers it's him? Like Dick Cheney? Yeah. (laughs) Or Mike Richards? No. Uh, That is, uh, you're thinking of the papacy, I think. (laughs) Again, medieval Christianity. And before you ask, there's never been a case where the regent has killed the Dalai Lama to take over his spot. 
But that's not to say that politics has never been a part of this. Um, for quite a while in the past, um, at least three Dalai Lamas were chosen using the golden urn, which is exactly what it sounds like. You take the golden urn and you give it to burn. <laughs> no, you put names in the golden urn. Have you seen? A, have you ever never seen a Harry Potter movie? No. You put you put a bunch of uh, the leading candidates to be Dalai Lama on strips of metal or, or ivory. You put them in a golden urn, and then a, a pretty lady in a swimsuit on TV reaches into the golden urn. You're kidding. No. And uh, and the process is widely... It was used three times to pick a Dalai Lama, and it's kind of widely accepted that the golden urn was... It sounds cool, but it was super rigged. Yeah. Because there is kind of a... You know, kind of like the, the Vatican Kremlinology of different factions wanting to put their boy on the throne. Sure. Um, that's not totally foreign, I'm sorry to say, in Tibetan Buddhism. In, historically, there have been aristocratic Buddhist families or, yeah. or you know, theological factions who wanted to assure that they would be represented. Um, and that's for the reason that since the fifth Dalai Lama, um, as we'll get to, the Dalai Lama has also been a political leader of Tibet. So there's political power, right, not right, just right. theological power that goes with being the name pulled from the golden urn. Did I ever tell you about the time I won a side of beef uh, by <clears throat> being chosen as the this was in sixth grade. On this very program, I believe. But <laughs> Did I? Have I told you this pro this story before? Yes. Oh. But, uh, the, but that, that shouldn't stop you. No, no, what no. If, what if they haven't heard that entry yet? It's the, it's, the equivalent of the, uh, it's the equivalent of choosing the Dalai Lama, except in my case, it was the side of beef. And it was rigged in your case. Well, it wasn't rigged. It was just, you know, they spun the wheel, and then I looked in, and I saw my mom's handwriting on a little slip of paper. You know, it was just like there are 6,000 slips of paper or something. And I just, you know, my mom has very recognized. That's how all the self-serving Buddhist monks would have done it. I don't, like, maybe the golden urn has a very narrow lip, so you can't do that. I don't know. The reason I tell this story over and over is I still feel tremendous guilt about uh, my malfeasance. And you think confessing it enough times in podcast form will expiate that? Well, it's not. That's it, not what God thinks. It's just that it's always in the front of my mind, even though it happened 40 years ago. Do you still have PTSD when you see a side of beef? Like when you watch the Rocky movies? I got a side of beef a couple of years ago from Kurt Timmermeister. Oh, yeah. And uh, it was really nice to have a side of beef. Isn't he more of a cheese around. guy? Well, he's got, he makes cheese until the cow is no longer oh, I see. cheesy. And, and then, then he gives you a side of beef. Yeah, then it's like, but and the side it's of beef of life. like has her name written on the, written on the package. Oh, really? Like hamburger it's like Daisy. Rosie or whatever. Yeah. Mmm. <laughs> <laughs> She's marbled. <laughs> Can I imagine you as somebody who would want to employ a bidet in order to keep clean? I seem like a bidet type to you. Yeah, you do. You seem like a sophisticated a fussy, a gentleman. No, 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 not at all. Someone who doesn't want to waste toilet paper, who wants to be oh. clean and fresh and uh, environmentally friendly. It used to be that, you know, you, uh, you would suspect an eco-conscious person of maybe looking or smelling a little odd, but now you mm -hmm. expect them to smell great because they're using bidet technology That's instead right. of inefficient toilet paper. They're very progressive people, but most of the time, uh, if you wanted to have the cleanliness of a bidet, you would need, you, you've seen it, I think many times, you'd need a, uh, an entire a separate, separate, separate porcelain thing that's, that, that yeah. uh, has a little fountain this other to gurgle you with. installation that does appear to be like a decorative fountain at first, but that requires that you have an extensive bathroom facility 
and uh, and this whole other operation. And and it means you would want to move mid-operation. What if you could just stay seated on the same place where you did your business right. and cleaned up there? So you're thinking, well, well, can't I adapt my toilet to become a bidet? Well, how much electricity is this going to take? How many new fangled other adaptive gizmos do I have to replace my old toilet? Well, Ken, I'm here to tell you, you do not. You have an easy-to-install, affordable solution for me? What is it? Well, it's the Hello Tushy uh, Bidet Apparatus. Yeah, the HTBA. Yeah. The, 3.0. The Hello Tushy 3.0 Modern Bidet Attachment is here to level the playing field. And that the playing field, in this sense, is your toilet seat. It's stylish. It, it wasn't level before? Well, I mean, it's more level now with the addition of Hello Tushy 3.0. Yay, it has it's, a gimbal. It's stylish, it's eco-friendly, it's easy to install, and it's affordable. Uh, it has a smart spray automatic self-cleaning nozzle. I love that it has no electricity or additional plumbing. It's uh, yeah. There's no infrastructure. No, it works through the magic of anti-gravity. Uh, some conditions apply cold fusion (laughs) powers this product and if you already uh if you're an advanced life form and already have a hello tushy um you can upgrade to the 3.0 model uh and uh and receive all the benefits of uh the latest technology with no risks because there's a 60-day guarantee and a 12-month warranty so go to hellotushy.com slash omnibus and you'll get 10 percent off plus Free shipping. That's a special offer just for our listeners. Not for those of you who are not listening. Everybody else, go to hellotushy.com slash omnibus and get 10% off. That's hellotushy.com slash omnibus. But the golden urn is not used anymore, mostly for political reasons. When the current 14th Dalai Lama, now Tenzin Gyatso, although that's not his birth name, uh, when he was chosen, it's a it's a council of the senior monastic advisors of the outgoing Dalai Lama, the one who has passed away. Within the next couple of years, they start searching. And This is very popey, right? Like the Pope never... The Pope's not a baby. Oh, it's a baby, right? Sorry. Go on. Well, in what way is it like the Pope? Well, because, you know, the Pope should be touched by God, but in fact, the Pope is touched by 50 bishops or whatever. You know, the bishops are never going to pick like a radical Pope. They're always going to pick a conformist pope, right? They picked the current guy who wears uh, Chuck Taylors or something. Well, I know, but that's just to throw us off the scent. I see. I mean, not us. I'm not rep. I'm not <laughs> you don't care <laughs> to throw Mel Gibson's dad off the scent. <laughs> I mean, the main thing is the 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 um, the monk could be reincarnated anywhere. In the past, they've assumed in Tibet. So the main thing these uh, this council is interested in is where to find the kid. <sighs> No, it could be anywhere. You've got to do a search. What do you think? He's just going to be born in the hospital closest to where the guy died? The old guy died? Well, he was for like 11 centuries. Well, that was probably a lot simpler then. It, you know, Tibet was a smaller place. So you're saying in Malibu, California, there may be a kid with floppy hair who's like, whose parents are, are Hollywood screenwriters and it's the Dalai Lama. Isn't that the premise of a Keanu Reeves movie? Yeah. Isn't there, there's a Bertolucci movie where Keanu Reeves has a baby and it's the next Dalai Lama. There's also that that uh, that uh, the the Golden Child starring Eddie Murphy. Sure, that's what you need. You, instead of sending a council of of uh, Buddhist monks in uh, shark fin yellow hats, banana hats, you need to send a tough 
uh, Private Detective, Streetwise Private Detective, played by Eddie Murray. Who's Murphy? <laughs> Eddie Murray. Eddie Murray of the Baltimore yeah, Orioles. Eddie Murray was the mayor of Seattle. Uh, and and Eddie Murphy is wearing like a weird leather toque, like he, a Pan African toque throughout that movie. That's how you tell that character apart from Axel Foley. He's not just playing as Beverly Hills Cop character again, John. He's got range. He, yeah, that's now I'm he's wearing. wearing a weird hat. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> I think there was two of these, and you smoked the other one. I got lots of quotable lines from The Golden Child, a movie I saw on VHS. I don't know, twice. It made that much of an impression on you. I'm sure. It's okay. a fantastic. It's a fantastic piece of work. It's a great adventure. That was kind of a. T- I think it's, that was the success of Big Trouble in Little China. Yes. Weren't there a bunch of these kind of now maybe vaguely offensive uh, Orientalist? Yeah, right. With action the lo- movies, long fingernails. They're searching for a girl with green eyes. And maybe some of these movies have white people playing Asians. I'm uh, no way to know for sure. So all these movies set in mystical Asia in the '80s all have James Hong playing the wise and potentially evil character and they all have uh victor wong as the or rather victor wong as the kind of like uh like uh, pie-eyed or wall-eyed uh, is he the cool drunk one yeah he's the one the one that kind of seems like he's uh he's in he's the holy fool what about the guy from gremlins key luke he's not in any of these is he the guy that sells him the gremlin Oh, uh, no. Because of the shamefully low representation of Asian Americans in uh, Hollywood for the first 50 years of the movies, there's really, th- that's why you see the same people in all these movies. Yeah, this is the, this is the end of that, the, the late 80s, right, when uh, all of a sudden Hollywood was full of fascinating new Asian actors. There were so few Asian Americans in show business for a long time. I just found out that Larry Hama, who used to write G.I. Joe and Wolverine comics when I was a kid, was actually in the original cast of uh, Stephen Sondheim's Pacific Overtures. Really? And he wasn't even an actor. They were just like, there are, are no Asians on Broadway. Like, let's find some let's find some kids and put on a show. <laughs> Go around and knock on doors? Pretty much. Got any Asians? Uh, thankfully, uh, that's being rectified today. But um, no, the assumption always was in the past that the Dalai Lama would be from Tibet. Right. So you got to follow whatever signs and visions are available to tell you where to go. Well, look at us, or look at me, at least. I thought, I, I assumed it was a Tibetan local thing. What a, what a, what a blinkered <clears throat> small worldview you have. I do. Um, the Dalai Lama, as we'll see you know, when we get to the next one, the Dalai Lama's on the record, the current 14th Dalai Lama's on the record of saying his successor could come from anywhere, but he may have political reasons That's for saying confusing. that. confusing. Uh, it's like, uh, it's like Chef Gusto always says, anyone can cook. And that doesn't mean everyone can cook. It just means a great cook can come from anywhere. What if the new this Dalai Lama the... comes from the Chinese Communist Party? Well, that's, Whoa. that's kind of the end of the story. That's the turns out. <laughs> oh, no, sorry. That's the other turns out. <laughs> but in 1935, the Chinese Communist Party was just a glint in Mao's eye. And so the search was much simpler. You just had to look for signs of where the new guy might be. So you, one thing you do is you embalm the old guy and you keep an eye on his corpse in his tomb. Quoi? In 1935, uh, his head at one point started to wheel towards the Northeast. I don't uh, know. A, a rigor mortis? I, I can only assume. Or a prankster. Uh-huh. A, a, a fun janitor. <laughs> maybe the, the, the sorcerer guy from Big Trouble in Little China. <laughs> Victor Wong came in there and tilted the head. Um, so Northeast, that's a clue. Uh, right. a, a, a star-shaped fungus appeared overnight on the outside of the tomb on the east side. Oh, I thought you were diagnosing me. Yeah, a star-shaped fungus has appeared on my lower back. No, so that, now they've got two signs pointing east and northeast, so they've got a direction. Um, there was an auspicious cloud bank. Uh, 
they went to the 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 lake, the sacred lake where um what was our boy's name? Gendon Drupa received his uh his reincarnation lineage, and they saw characters floating in the lake, symbols. Uh, there was a vision of this the, the, the character for awe, which they interpreted to mean what can awe mean in conjunction with Northeast Tibet? Of course, I know what you're thinking, John. The Amdo province. Oh, um, well, I'm just wondering, like, <clears throat> what if they overshot and went to Tajikistan? No, no, you're not no. going to. No, like Kyrgyzstan you're is gonna, up there you're too. Gonna, not that your, far. All you have is a direction. <sighs> yeah, right. Like maybe it's going to go all the way northeast across the Bering Strait. Maybe you're <laughs> the. Maybe you were the 14th Dalai Lama. Well, but going around the earth in that direction, you would end up where? You'd end up in, in Denmark. No, northeast. Oh, well, I see. See, because of the curvature of the earth. You don't think it would... Uh, extend out into space? You think it would it would go over the pole? Yeah, I think it would go over the pole and I come a, around, around. I need a globe. Way. Sorry, I yeah, normally you, have one. You need to see... Yeah, where are your 30, 38 globes? And they're not here in the bunker. They're in a storage container. Please consult the omnibus about the Kibla for more of this kind of fun talk. So this wouldn't help because all you have is Amdo province and you have Northeast, which is how they got to Amdo province. But luckily a different monk had a dream where he saw a very, dis- a, a monastery uh, with a, a, a distinctively curved winding path around it to a little house with turquoise eaves. Now we're talking. Tell me more. Turquoise. I just realized this guy is literally reading the teal eaves, the teal eaves, teal eaves. Got to read the teal eaves. If you want to know the future. I, I, I hate to take you off the topic. No, you don't. <clears throat> but the people that sold me my house painted my eaves gray. Just the eaves. Well, no, they painted the house. Uh, they painted the house red, barn red. Well, I've just given it away. Anybody that's in my neighborhood now is going to know where I live. But find the barn red house with the <laughs> with the uh, gray eaves. But they painted under the eaves. They painted them gray, and you know it's a mid century house, so it has bigger eaves. And uh, people I had bigger eaves back then. Yeah, they did. There was bigger, bigger eaves is one of the ways you can tell people in old photographs. But I'm um, realizing that the gray eaves um, are like kind of a drag. But I'm trying to figure out what color, what's an exciting color to paint under your eaves that doesn't seem a little bit like over much. Tibetan I, Buddhism has the answer. Turquoise eaves. Uh, it would be auspicious because in this case, when the search parties headed up to the province of Amdo, uh, they were undercover, by the way. This is like when you're trying to buy farms out from farmers. You uh-huh. So they're not saying, hey, we're looking for the next Dalai Lama who can help. They're just like, we are poor, wandering, itinerant pilgrim monks. Please shelter us for the night. This is cool. And they wind up at a village in the Dokem district where they find a house that matches the um, Appearance, and they've heard that there's a kid the right age. You know, it has to be someone who's been born since the death of the previous thirteenth Dalai Lama. Right. They didn't skip thirteen, by the way, as, as bad luck. Uh, it's a kid that's that's old enough to be the Dalai Lama, but it doesn't or, it, or young enough to be the Dalai Lama, but old enough that you can take it from its mother. <laughs> <laughs> like you don't want to like take a four month old. They're not going to kidnap it. You know, it just occurred to me right now how similar this is to the Christmas story in Luke. You've got a bunch of astrologers wandering the countryside trying to deliver gifts to a um, chosen baby. Right. Um, they, they know vaguely the direction to follow, but that's about it. Yeah, they oh, follow this, the wandering star or whatever. Or in this case, the character Ah meaning Amdo. This, this, must, be, uh, this must be a very deep archetype. Old, old man looking for a baby. It's deep in our souls. Yeah, it's something from, from oldest India. If old men are looking for a baby, that's how you know 
that that's a, a good baby to follow. You know, in our culture now, that's not as popular. It's true. Old but, men looking for a baby is kind of a bummer. I mean, it definitely makes you side with the baby, but it gives you very bad feelings toward the old men. Yeah, and I think maybe we should Correctly. reevaluate that. Oh, you do? <laughs> the boy that they've heard about was actually born two and a half years after the 13th Dalai Lama died, but apparently that is not a theological problem. Um, the Dalai Lama was taking care of business up, upstairs. He spent some time in the Bardo, the limbo-like state between lives in Tibetan Buddhism. Is that a groovy place? Like in, um, what's, the, what's the one where the kid... The, the uh, Pixar film where the kid is like roaming around. There's a guy that doesn't want to die. Oh, it's the new one. It's Soul. Uh, Soul. And, the, and he's like, the jazz musician finds himself in a big cloud city full of little babies. This place is very groovy. It's not, instead of babies, it's full of Buddhas. Yeah. You, you, get, you get visions of different kinds of, of Buddhas with, you know, all in great glory and color and uh, representing different Buddhist virtues. And then there's, it's like a choose your own adventure book by... You know, depending on which uh, of the Buddhas you focus and meditate on, which of the colors of lights you look at, you'll come back in a different life. They say that you can even um, look at the at the last door that you look through. You will see into your next life, and in fact, you will see your parents going at it, and that's how you know you could, that's a that's a, a a fertile landing place for your next arrival. But I'm correct in saying that there are no lady Buddhas. Well, that's another point. Uh, up until now, there have been no female Dalai Lama, Dalai's Lama, and let's leave it there for okay. the moment. Okay. Um, when the search party, undercover search party, gets to this village, they find the little boy, and he's they they don't, they don't know it's him. He's just dressed as like a servant kid. They don't even know he's from the household. But there are immediately miraculous manifestations. He he seems to recognize one of the monks whom he would have known in his past life as the 13th oh, Dalai Lama, sure, sure. Um, if you can get your mind around this. And he calls him like, he refers to him as a Lama, but he uses a Lhasa accent, like an accent from... Town. The cap, yeah, from town. So it would be like, you go to the country to try to find the next whatever, and he's like, forget about it. <laughs> I'm walking here. <laughs> so he's got a regional accent that, that his predecessor would have had. But not the people around right. where he's raised. Uh -huh. um, over, as they observe him over the next few visits, at one point he asks for their he asks for a set of rosary beads around somebody's neck, and actually those were beads that belonged to the previous Dalai Lama. Okay. And in fact, that's the test you do. You offer the child different objects to see if he can pick out the ones that he would have owned in his past life. It feels like this is sort of a Weschler... Uh, IQ test for children, right? Right. Like, Here's a picture of a moose looking at his mommy uh, in the bathroom. What emotions does this make you think of? What does the baby moose think of right now? Um, and in this case, you know, they would show him, you know, a ritual drum and something else, and he would know this is the drum that belonged to me when I was last here. Um, this is this walking stick was mine. Um, but I wonder how, I wonder what the percentage of correct answers it is to get it. What's, what's the Mendoza line yeah, for being the Dalai Lama? Because sometimes he's got to get, get it wrong, right? And well, just pick the more colorful. Not if he's really the guy. Right. This, it's not that different from, there's a Korean custom you do, I think when a child is like a hundred days old called um, Dolchanchi, I think, where you show the child, and this is, I think, kind of a common architect in Asian culture. You show the child a bunch of objects you know the baby you, you you know there's a calligraphy brush and if he picks up the brush he's going to be a smart kid oh and this if, he, is, if he picks up the bill he's going to be rich if he picks up food um 
fat kid, I he's guess. He's going to be chubby. These are the three kinds of people there are, smart, yeah. rich, and fat, I guess. So it's like it's like a, like a lot of Asian schools, they determine whether you're a carpenter or a lawyer before <laughs> right. you're and seven. That actually, the thing you pick up actually determines whether you get to go to the good cram school. Right. No, that's not true. But today, there's maybe more modern options, you know, different colors of rice cake and right. video you know. games. <laughs> right. Boy, you're going to be a, you're going to be a Twitch streamer. This is fantastic. Hentai. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, he picked up the hentai. Um, but the Dalai Lama passes all these tests with, or the child passes all these tests with flying colors. And that's how, uh, our Jiminy Cricket of a cherubic that's the secret origin of the current Dalai Lama. Right. Which one of these cups would have belonged to a carpenter? But exactly. Um, however, this there's reason to believe this procedure may not be followed precisely um, when it's time to choose the 15th Dalai Lama. Our man, uh, uh, Tenzin Gyatso, who my friends think is a doofus, but I think is cool, <laughs> is I think 83 this year as we record this. Um, the funny thing is if you look him up on, on Wikipedia, it would be offensive to list his birthday because of course he's a manifestation, eternal manifestation oh, sure. of Avalokiteshvara. So, so uh, Tenzing so, is, is a very common name. Tenzing Norgay is the famous, uh, a mountaineer that. Yeah. Tenzing what, is just like Kyle. If you go to, it's just like, uh, there are that many Kyle. It's just Zach or Jason. If you go to Tibet, you know, Tenzing Momo here in Seattle is a place that you can get fancy tea. Down in the Pike Place Market. Do you remember Tenzing? Oh, you've been to Shirley. I've been there. It's still there, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah, he was born in... Yeah, he's 85, actually. He was born... Oh, yeah, 35, of course. He's a little bit younger than my mom. So your mom could not be the next Dalai Lama. Right. Although she was, I think, born after the death of the last Dalai oh, Lama. Oh, so maybe she... Before... Do you think your mom was actually the Dalai Lama and she was just too far away? If you go northeast enough times, do you come around to Puget Sound? I think that my mom is or probably Ohio. the reincarnation of a Tibetan mastiff rather than of the Dalai Lama. Uh, as I mentioned, you know, since the fifth Dalai Lama unified Tibet in the mid-1600s, the Dalai Lama has also been a political leader of, of all the Tibetan people. Right, right, right. The fifth Dalai Lama was, a, you know, a, not just a revered monk, but also a scholar who left a lot of scripture. He welcomed a lot of, um, you know, the, the first Europeans in Tibet were— explorers, but they were also Jesuits who were deeply interested in the local religion. So the first, you know, he's the first Tibetan that word got back to Europe about. Um, so he's an important figure, and because he was able to use his theological clout to unify Tibet, um, since that time, the Dalai Lama has also been the political leader. The Jesuits didn't get to Tibet until the 30s and 40s? This is kinda... no until the. I'm talking about the fifth Dalai oh, Lama okay. in the mid 17th oh, century. I was going to say that's pretty late for the Jesuits no. to come in and start messing around. No, they... in the 30s and 40s, they had like yeah. 50 basketball coaches there, probably. Yeah, right. Uh, Tibet was independent until Tibet was an in, has historically been an independent state, but um, you know when the Mongols moved in in the 1300s, you know. Uh, it lost a lot of its self sovereignty, right? Self sovereignty or yeah, sovereignty, sovereignty to use another word. Right. What am I using? What am, what's the word? Self, self uh, uh, determination. Sure, self determination. And at, since that time, it's always been a little murky because China's always been the powerful neighbor next door. Um, over time, exercising either a lot or a little 
political power over its mountainous neighbor. A long time before the communist Right. And, uh, and that, that murky situation ended in, I mean, even Chiang Kai-shek, I think kind of, believe, you know, his official government position was that Tibet was part of the Republic of China, even before the Mao won the Civil War. But after the communists took over China, they annexed Tibet fully in 1959. And ever since then, it's mostly been settled as a political question. Um, Tibet is, has been forced to be part of the People's Republic of China. And in 1959, as a result, the Dalai Lama, then the, not just the you know, beloved churchman, but also the, the, basically the prime minister of Tibet, the president of the country, right. fled to, over the, across the border to India on foot and in a wagon cart, with the help of the CIA, by the way. Oh, sounds like Charles de Gaulle. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what happened, except instead of the English Channel, the Himalayas. Wow. Um, and I guess if you're in the CIA, you know, if, you're, if you want to stop the spread of world communism, most of the times you're going to do kind of awful things like put strong men into Peruvian and Guatemalan and Chilean presidential mansions. Right. Um, but and sometimes you do things like bring Led Zeppelin to the Czech Repu- or Czechoslovakia, right? You put Billy Joel in Red Square as a, as a, as a uh, counter uh, intel op. I don't know what the word would be. That's that's pretty that, that's good. what it would be. Yeah, that's exactly what it would. So be. you're saying you're saying that some of the Dalai Lama's uh, prominence in Western culture is a result of the CIA putting propping him up as an anti-communist, a symbol of anti-communism. Ah. I mean, and that's not that's not like a CIA propaganda operation. Um, as it, far as you know, well, I mean, it was mainstream Western belief in the 50s and 60s that. Uh, you know, anything that opposed communism, we were on the side of, right. even if it was a Buddhist in a, in a banana looking hat. And from that time, he's been the leader of a Tibetan government in exile until 2011, by the way, he retired all his temporal, his claim to the temporal leadership of Tibet in 2011 and said that, Hey, it's the 21st century. Tibet should be a democracy. Uh-huh. I, I'm just the Dalai Lama now, but there should be an election. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how you, how do you run an election for a government in exile? Um, but in theory, Tibet, and should it ever have its homeland back, the, the, within the borders of Tibet, would be a democracy. Um, but he's not getting any younger. Yeah. Luckily, if we believe all these signs and visions from the last guy, um, the 14th incarnation of the Dalai Lama has had a dream that he will live to be 113. So if you've done the math, Whoa. that's the year 2048, uh, like Whoa. the video game, like the, like the phone app. I'll be 60. Yeah. Uh, 2048. No, you know, you know, you'll be, no, you'll be dead. I'll be 80. I'll be 80. We hope. Yeah. Inshallah. Um, I will be 26 plus 48, 66. Is that right? Something like that. What? You're 26 now? 64. I'll be 64. Oh no. 26 no. years of the tw- of the 20th century plus 48 years of the 64. When I'm 64. Well, you're not that much younger than me. It's not like you're 16. Sorry, 74. So when I'm 64. Wait a minute. Are you that much younger than me? 74. You're born in 68 or 69. Oh, wow. You're six years younger than me? That's so weird. You look older. No. I I look perpetually young. I look like the kid in the Richie Rich comics. It's true. Whatever his name was. You do. I look older. Uh... So he, so we have nothing to worry about, but his health has not been great lately. So I kind of worry about this, his, his dream, the dream we all have, the dream we all dream of 
of living to be 113 years old. How is his health bad? Just drinking? Is he just? Is he living on? Uh, he, he drinks nothing but kombucha. Uh, ferment, fermented butter? No. He, yeah. He, he just has yak butter three meals a day. I'm sure it's all kombucha, and it's full of antioxidants, and he has not a single toxin. Yeah. In his in his bodhisattva Bodhi, but. Um, the problem is mostly a political one. Even though he has renounced his political power, um, China still sees that a lot of the opposition to their annexation of Tibet is centered around this universally, internationally popular, charismatic figure, except for my friend who thinks he's a, a, a blockhead. Um, and crucially, China has the golden urn. The golden urn exists still? There's still a golden urn. And the official Chinese position is, of course, that they've done a great thing by freeing Tibet of this medieval theocratic slavery that these these poor oppressed people labored under. They got rid of this reactionary force. Is the urn like in a museum or something? Where's the urn? If you, you would guard the urn. Surely the urn, the urn is in party headquarters in a file cabinet under you. Yeah, they nailed it into a cask and they rolled it into a large warehouse. Urn, comma, top golden. Top men are Yeah, that's right. <laughs> top men. And at some point, the top men are going to reach into that urn and they're going to pull out a China-approved name, oh. it seems. Because, you know, I mean, first of all, no matter who the successor, even the successor the Dalai Lama would pick if he could, would be someone who doesn't have his clout, his charisma, his gravitas. He could be manipulated by other forces within the world of Tibetan Buddhism. And there's reason to believe that China would just put its own puppet Dalai Lama on the, I don't know if he has a throne. Right. On his, uh, on his on stool. His. Um, because in 1995, um, the Dalai Lama named a new Panchen Lama, the second most prominent Lama in Tibetan Buddhism, uh, named a six-year-old, and China promptly disappeared the six-year-old. Whoa. He has not been seen in public since. And, and his family. Whoa. And the official Chinese government's position is that, oh, no, it's fine. He's uh, doing great. He's in college now. Whoa. Please ask no other questions. <laughs> we, we can't reveal his location or, or uh, you, know, you know, for the safety of him and his family. But rest assured that the, that the party is keeping the Panchen Lama in... in the safest and, and best of conditions. You know, Xi Jinping, uh, the the chairman of the Chinese Communist Party, mm-hmm. looks very much like a, a businessman. I thought you were going to say he looked like one of the villains of one of these '80s movies. No, no, he leaves, just looks like a business person. Yeah, all the all the Deng Xiaoping was the last guy from the revolution. Yeah, you know, they're all dead. He's all just, the long march is is dead. He's just got a regular haircut and is wearing a regular suit, and I don't trust that that he's going to be inspired reaching into that golden urn. He seems like he's just going to, he's just going to pick a business person. Well, that's the great irony. That's the great irony of this is that the Chinese communist party is a China's officially an atheist state. Oh, sure. But they are granting the existence of reincarnation and the theological correctness of, and legitimacy of Tibetan Buddhism by saying, Nope, it's good. We got the urn. We'll take care of this. Your 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 uh, beloved atheist government will pick your new spiritual leader. Uh-huh. Whereas, ironically, the Dalai Lama has raised some eyebrows in the West lately by telling journalists that he's uh, always been super Marxist. What? Really? Yeah. He, when it comes to social, and you know, obviously, I don't believe in Leninist class struggle. Bo- the, the Buddhism's about peace, but it's clear when you compare. You know, it just comes purely to social economic theory that Marx had the right idea because at least his conception of economy had some morality to it. 
Right. You know, whereas, you know, to the to the Dalai Lama, he'll say, well, capitalism is just all about gain and profitability. There's no room for Buddhist ideals of compassion or equality. So right. I'm forced to be a uh, kind of an originalist Marxist here. Um, so you've got a Chinese government professing belief in Buddha and reincarnation and the various manifestations of Avalokiteshvara, the Bodhisattva of compassion. And then the Dalai Lama, the Dalai is, Lama is like is talking about uh, is back, ta- backyard uh, talking about controlling, smelters. controlling the means of production. <laughs> so when he gives interviews, it's not really clear what's going to happen. Um, he has said, he's given some interviews where he said he's open to ending the title. You know, he'll be the last one to hold the belt, basically. Oh. It'll be discontinued. Oh, well. And specifically, his quote is, there's no guarantee that some stupid Dalai Lama won't come next. Oh, he is the one throwing shade on, on Dalai Lamas. Well, yeah, because, and remember, this would be himself. This would be a, a reincarnated manifestation of his Buddha lineage. Oh, sure. I could be stupider next time. I could, I could pick the wrong light in the bardo. I could just see two people going at it and being like, there, and then I'm a big dummy. See, this is the thing. If you're in the bardo and you're looking down, looking for sexy people having sex, you're going to pick sexy people, right? And they're you're... not going to have smart kids. No, sexy people by definition don't have smart kids. They're in high school and they're not using protection. Yeah. Uh, so he's so he's given the, he's granted the possibility that maybe he will be the final Dalai Lama. In other interviews, he said that he's open to picking a woman. Okay. Now, um, now we're getting somewhere. He's open to a non-Tibetan. I mean, that that kind of sounds free thinking and international, but what it really means is I don't have to pick someone under Chinese government auspices in Tibet. I can pick a follower from here in India. Oh, wait, is he picking it or is his are his henchmen picking it? Well, that's the question. So I was reading an interview with um, one of the foremost authorities on Tibetan Buddhism, Robert Thurman in the New York Times. Uh, Robert Thurman is also the father of Uma Thurman. No. Uma's dad is maybe the leading American scholar on Buddhism today. Whoa. And he says that, yeah, it's totally possible that um, the Dalai Lama could, I mean, it would be tricky for him to pick someone because how can you have two of the same bodhisattva in the same place at the same time? You can't. But he could pick a regent while he was still alive, which doesn't usually happen, and say, hey, good, good news, this guy is going to be my guy, or maybe he is the reincarnation of my regent when I was a kid. Because the regent continues to, to run the, the Dalai Lama show until the, right. the baby is of age, you know? We're back to the Dalai Lama show. You can't have some two-year-old just grabbing stuff, because he's going to grab the... Oh, sure, sure, sure. The, the, he's going to grab a Slim Jim. Sure, the regent, the regent ends up uh, holding on to Minas Tirith uh, exactly. until the king returns. He's a Denethor type. Uh-huh. So um, Thurman proposes this kind of bizarre scenario where he picks a guy and says, I've recognized this to be my beloved regent. Now he's going to be the regent for the new guy. And then the Dalai Lama can have his um, old age in peace, you know, hanging out with um, Desmond Tutu and Bill Clinton or whatever the Dalai Lama does. Right. Um, And then when he passes away, no problem because there's already somebody running the show who can then ensure continuity and say, oh, good news, I've, I've found a baby, and that's, that's my guy. So they'll ju- they just kind of do the Putin-Medvedev yeah, yeah. switcheroo with Regent and Dalai Lama, right? and then they switch off. So it's not clear what's going to happen, but the future of Tibet as an entity and, a, and even an idea— kind of hangs in the balance. Does Uma Thurman's dad have any money on who the regent's going to be? There can't be that many guys hanging around the dollar. Is it going to be Bill Clinton? Is it going to be Mike D? 
it's not going to be one of the guys he buddies around with on airplanes. Okay. It's going to be a monastic advisor. It's going to be a disciple. He's still, you know, the Dalai Lama still says, you know, I spend 20% of my day doing, be, being the Dalai Lama. Like oh. 80% of my day is, day is spent in meditation. And this is where I think my friend's theory would be that he is just watching reality TV. You know, he's just watching Great British Bake Off all day. Does meditation, have you done meditation? Have you meditated, I guess is one way of saying that. I have tried. Uh, I wonder if spending 80% of your day meditating, whether that makes you smarter or dumber. It might be that they meet uh, They meet in the middle. You know, it's like you get, you you know, like people often say about the far left and the far right, you come around to the same crackpot ideas. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if that would be true of, if meditating, you get so smart that you are indistinguishable from a super dumb guy. Well, that's the crazy, that's the crazy part, right? I've known a lot of people that meditate all the time and they typically are not the ones I turn to for advice because their advice is always, you should meditate. <laughs> At what point is it just like a kind of, like a form of, of forced dumbness. I find that my mind is just too active to meditate. And maybe that means I need to meditate more than most people, but it means that I, I just find myself like unable to, to get into that zone of, of peace and contemplation. It, so it just means that you should have a podcast where you read Wikipedia. And that concludes the next Dalai Lama. Entry 836.MT0208. Certificate number 32762 in the omnibus. Futurelings, in the unlikely event that, well, I'm, and in the unlikely event that I'm the regent that picks the next Dalai Lama. Who are you going to pick? Uh, well, a kid that's not born yet. I would pick a major league baseball player. They're wow. They're idiots. Yeah, but they, 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 you know, they have to have that kind of that purity, that empty purity of mind that comes with being able to to hit a a a sticky fast, sticky curveball, or you know, whatever a pitcher has to have on the mound with all eyes on them. They're so macho. I think what I would do as the baseball players, they swagger around. They're just country boys. It's not the same as macho. I uh, I would pick. I would find a really sexy couple pick their sexy baby and then I'd be in charge because it'd be a dumb baby and then as the regent I'd be I'd be sitting eating cherry tomatoes in a fur coat until uh, and then trying to burn my son in oil people will love the sexy baby and they won't the sexy baby will never care that you're the power behind the throne exactly sexy baby just rolls around uh, hanging out with with uh, you know with white rappers and I'm the one that's uh, pulling the strings it sounds pretty good but don't you want to hang out with Harry and Megan or whatever your sexy baby is doing? You don't care? Zero percent. Okay. Do I want to hang out with celebs? It's kept you, it kept you off Epstein's plane. <laughs> it sure did. Whew. Yeah. Dodged uh, a bullet. Hanging, hanging with celebs is never, it's never as good as it seems. But in the unlikely event that social media still exists, uh, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram are archived at Omnibus Project. Our uh, respective handles were our names, Ken Jennings and John Roderick. Although uh, you can find me now mostly on Patreon slash John Roderick. Patreon.com slash John Roderick. Get that paper. Um, I, uh, I would like you to email us at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. You can email us uh, our congratulations and, other, and also all of your, your uh, fact-checking. Send us pictures of your good-looking babies. 
for application purposes. You can support this show uh, by sending us the Golden Urn or its contents, as long as its contents are gold, uh, to patreon.com slash omnibusproject. Actually, if you're going to send us the urn, you would send it to P.O. Box 55744 Shoreline, Washington, 98155. If you pawn the urn... And send us the profits. You send us some portion of the profits to patreon.com slash omnibusproject to keep the show going. Uh, and you can hang out with other futurelings and uh, celebrate us and criticize us. Talk about your own lives. Mostly criticize us. At uh, any place futurelings are found. Facebook, Reddit, Discord, this, the other Discord. Your office Slack. There's probably somebody talking about us. But that's right. And uh, so that's what you should do. Listeners, from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. Uh, we hope and pray that we get to the 15th dollar long, honestly, and that the catastrophe of fear may never come. But if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word. But if providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus.